Hello and welcome back to Play, Train, Grow. This is part two with Jennifer Fraser on the topic of bullying. The focus of this episode is how we heal the brain that's been bullied throughout life, either as a child or an adolescent or as an adult. I asked three questions in this episode. The first one focuses on how we use the people around us to help heal the scars of our past. We talk about how the most important relationship is the relationship you have with yourself and how you talk to yourself and how you feel. I give some personal examples to build on examples or ideas for you and, and anyone listening to build and process or reprocess memories and thoughts from the past and change them and empower yourself to cause long-lasting change. And long-lasting change is the third question that I ask, where we talk about the brain gym and causing long-lasting change. Once again, thank you for, for listening. If you would like to get in touch with us, please do on Twitter. And I will leave Jen's Twitter handle, as always, in the episode if you want to get in touch with her too. So, Jen... Moving into part two, how we heal the brain or how we heal ourselves. First part was about how it influences the brain more from a negative standpoint. Let's move to the healing. How can you use the people around you to heal the scars of the past? Such a really sort of a powerful question. Um, so one of the things that I've read in the neuroscientific research that really struck me, really struck a chord, is the work of Matthew Lieberman. And he writes about how our brains are profoundly social, very, very social. And almost more important to the brain is our social community than food and water and sleep. Our brain is wired for social connection. So I want to talk a little bit first about teenagers and 20-somethings, and, and then I'll more fully answer the question around how can we use our social group. So one of the things that I think is really important that we, we aren't taught and we don't learn about, we tend to look at teenagers as if they're being very rebellious. You know, all of a sudden they're, they're you know, disagreeing with their parents. They're not listening to their parents. They're causing trouble at school and they're acting in this kind of strange, rebellious way. And, you know, they're famous for it. And, um, you know, one of the great, great uh, workers and neuroscientific researchers on adolescence is Sarah Jane Blakemore. She's fabulous. She has a great TED talk um, on adolescence. And I, I recommend people watch it because what makes adolescence so dangerous um, is that you are moving from one social group to another. And it's that transition phase that's very scary. And it's, it's one of the, the brain pushes them to do it. It's not a choice, just like hormones are not a choice. Your body changes. You couldn't stop it if you wanted to. And you can't stop what's happening in your brain either. So the rebellious teenager is being pushed by evolution to behave that way. They don't even know it. They don't know where this is coming from. But really what the brain is trying to do is, is have them find the courage to walk away from the parental and the familial social group, the tribe that they know 
to grow up, they have to leave that tribe and it's terrifying and it makes them feel like they're losing themselves. And so the way they survive it is by bonding intensively with their peer group. So they they can't help how much they care about their social group and their peers. It's absolutely uh, imprinted on their brains by evolution. So as adults, what we can do is really try and help them carry over. And that the original meaning of the word coach and coaching ties back etymologically. Its origin means to carry. It's to carry someone to their full potential. That's what you are doing as a coach. And so um, I think social groups and understanding that our teenagers and our 20-somethings are navigating that really hard transition um, is, is a good reminder to all of us how important our social group is. So our brains need the social group. And if we want to make changes, like I love that idea that the best way to heal, the best way to recover from trauma or negative things that have happened to us or negative things that we've done, we might have externalized our trauma by being a fighter. We might have externalized our trauma by bullying other, other people. And we want to stop. We want to change. And the good news is we can. We can completely rewire. We can change the myelination in our brain. We can do all kinds of healthy, amazing things with our brain, just like we can with our bodies. We can't see it, but you can see it on a brain scan. And the technology is, it's just groundbreaking, so important. All of us need to know about it. So yes, the social group is a really I think it's a wonderful way to start to put in practice um, recovery, healing, and connection. So one of the ways that you see this is, for example, you see a biking group and people go out biking together. They talk and they are getting fit and they're out in nature. Like talk about an amazingly healthy way to start to put your brain into a great space. Or you see joggers and they're out running as, as a pair or they're running as, a, as 10 people together. Again, that's a fantastic way to get healthy and create a healthier, stronger brain. You look at yoga. You've got, this, you've got this voice of the teacher, the yoga teacher who's telling you to move and you're moving in silence and part of the community. Personally, that's one of my favorite things to do. And I, I find, you know, back to you and me and our bad tempers, it helps me remain mindful and calm and integrate my mind and my brain and my body as an aligned, working together kind of, you know, holistic, healthy being. And that's really, that's my goal. And as you know, that's what I write about in the book. Um, and I, I know I'm going on and on. I just want to say one more thing. <laughs> um, I want to go back to this idea of the social group, because really what we need to do and it's hard to do, and it's great to learn how to do it with others. And it, it goes back to a, an important point that you've brought up a number of times is the idea of negative self-talk. So when we internalize, when we normalize traumas that have been done to us, maybe in childhood, maybe at a job, maybe during this in the school system or by a coach, um, by our peers, if we internalize that and we continue to speak that way to our body, like we, let's say we fat shame ourselves and we say, oh, we're, we're lazy and we're unfit and we're a glutton and we're never going to be fit. We don't have a chance. And everyone, you know, 
doesn't respect us. Or maybe we say, oh, I'm not smart. The school system told me all my life that I wasn't creative and I wasn't bright and I couldn't concentrate. That's who I am. I believe I believe all these labels that have been put on me. And that's how I talk to myself. I, you know, I put myself down. I say I'm an idiot when, I'm, when something goes wrong. It really is that social relationship that's the most important. We do, we do a lot, like you think social media and all the time we spend looking at the outside world and comparing ourselves. And we, we've got our kids doing that now too. And we know it's incredibly unhealthy. So the most important social relationship for all of us is the one you have within yourself. You need to talk to your brain. You need to talk to your body and you need to talk to your mind and have all three of them in dialogue empathic, supportive, creative, problem-solving, growth mindset, talent growing. Like you have, you have a galaxy of neurons within you, 86 billion neurons, like do something fabulous with it. It's like all of us have in our heads, these incredible things and we can, we can capitalize on it. You know, like we said in the last in the last podcast, the sky is the limit when it comes to your brain. Yeah, so the, the reason I asked that is because that's how I'm trying to, to help myself, is I have committed to friends things from my past, and then they end up committing to me things about their past. And you can have a genuine open conversation, often around a beer or two, but that allows for that free flow of information. And, and if you want to really heal, you need to find your thing. You need the bravery to jump in the deep end. And then that commitment will help you towards the healing. So building on this, as I was reading through your book and the, the, learn, the cage of learned helplessness, I felt like I was reading an autobiography as I went through a, a couple of paragraphs where you talked about writing, and I know what I'm saying doesn't directly correlate to the part of the book, but you were talking about how you would compare someone with a broken arm and their writing style to someone with a broken brain and their writing style as it would be. And as I, I went through the, the paragraph, phrases like doesn't work hard enough, sloppy, not trying enough, poor penmanship. That brought back my entire schooling to university years because like when I was at uni, I'd put 12 hours a day for seven days into an essay and it would come back with an average grade and I'd be told I'm not working hard enough. So now that I've jumped into these commitment with friends and I can talk about it, I feel like I'm working towards it. What comes to mind when I give you that sort of example for yourself and your work in the healing stages? Well, my first reaction is I feel a lot of sadness. I feel a lot of sadness for that boy who did not have a society, who didn't have teachers, who didn't have a school system to reflect back to him how amazing he was. My second feeling is, you know, you're really lucky. You're lucky you're dyslexic because the research shows people like you work twice as hard as everyone else. And that's why you statistically have more successful lives. 
you've learned that growth mindset means that if you want to achieve, you have to work hard. And the only person that can ever keep striving is you. And, and you learn that lesson at a very early age. So you're not afraid. There's a lot of people out there that didn't, that had an easy just ride through in the school system. And they're not talking to their friends. They're not vulnerable. They're not able to coach young people and say, I made mistakes and I want to teach you from my learned experience, the mistakes I made, because I don't want you to make them. I want you to be the best you can be. That's, that's being a talent whisperer. I mean, you're going to, you're going to create young people who use sport as a healthy uh, brain body, you know, interaction that sports, one of the most important things for a healthy brain. And you're right at the forefront of that. And I mean, I, I feel like while I feel sad for the child, I feel that the adults in a strange sense, you know, you've taken that hurtfulness and that unfair treatment and you've turned it to your advantage because you've always learned it's, it's going to be up to you. They don't see you. And you must have known it in an early age, like, like you're saying with university, you know, you worked hard, you work twice as hard as the other students. So they can say whatever they want, but your brain is going, you know what? Keep your label to yourself. It's not true. I worked really hard and that's healthy. And it, you know, it takes time and it takes openness to, to get these things out there. Because I find that so often people are so unwilling to, to share things. So as you're talking, just other examples of things I'm dealing with the now come from school. So I remember in primary school, our sort of younger ages, seven, eight, nine, you would move from a pencil to a pen. And that was seen as you being neat and intelligent. But I'm left-handed, and that causes a whole load of problems. So it took me longer to achieve the pen, which was red, by the way, for colour connotations. The outside colour of the pen was red. So that brings along so many other emotions. I remember writing and letters we'd miss from the page, or I'd write half a letter, and it would take me so long because I'd have to focus. Then I'd get tired. Then I would lose focus and forget what people are asking. So I'm now addressing these things with friends and myself so that when these thoughts come along, I'm just literally reshaping them into a, not, not a positive frame of mind because that's the easy way out. I'm just literally remolding the stories and then I'm trying to reaffirm, is probably the better word, that yes, it takes longer for the information to come from my head to the page, but I've managed to build in a way of sort of neat, I think your phrase would be healing neurological scars. It's, it's a tough topic. Um, how do we cause long-lasting change? You know, we, we've said it before, we go to the gym to build our body. We don't have a gym for the brain. So I've given a couple of examples, of kind of personal examples there. What, what do you educate, explain, talk about? Um, it's, okay, so there is a brain gym. There is a fitness room that you can go to for your brain. And it is, you can find it on the website at www.brainhq.com. So BrainHQ, think brainheadquarters.com, BrainHQ. That is a program designed by neuroscientists. It has been tested by over a hundred different independent groups like Johns Hopkins University and UCLA and top level 
institutions. It's designed uh, by Posit Science and headed up by Dr. Michael Mersnick. And it is a place where you can do incredibly healthy brain training. It takes about half an hour, it's gamified, it's online, and it doesn't cost much. And really, it's a, it's a way to keep your brain super high functioning right through your life span. And I really like how you made the analogy with the body, because if you want long lasting change, if you want to keep your body healthy, you have to keep working out. You can't work out for six months, get really fit and then stop. Your, your body just goes right back to being unfit. Same thing with your brain. So you can't do six months of brain HQ three times a week, let's say, and then stop. You have to do it until your last day on the planet. Michael Merzenich does it every day and he's 80 years old. And it, he explains it really well because the brain is hungry for learning. All That's what the brain does. The brain learns. And if we get to a certain sort of a plateau in our lives, you know, we're middle-aged like I am, and we think that we don't really, you know, we play tennis, let's say, and we play bridge with our friends and we have, you know, we, I read lots of books that doesn't keep my brain healthy. The brain needs to be constantly pushed, pushed, pushed. And this program, the algorithm in this online brain gym or brain fitness, it's designed to keep pushing you. So every time you achieve, so for example, one of the games is concentration would be a really good one for you to do is focus. So you have to keep track of two moving items and there's a whole bunch on the screen. It's really hard to do. So you, you keep track of two at the end of it and there's like 20, you have to identify the two and they're moving like in all different directions. And um, when you get good at it, then they give you three, you get good at three, they give you four. And it's amazing to watch your brain. Your brain just is on fire for this kind of thing. It's what it wants to do. And so the best, ex the best exemplar of how we can keep our brains healthy and high functioning and like a 20 year old's brain, even when we get older is Tom Brady. So Tom Brady at 43, he's just retired or he's 44 now, I think at 44, he's competing with 20 year old brains. Like they should be outperforming that middle-aged man totally, but they're not. He's outperforming them. And he does brain training every day. He does Michael Merzenich's program. That's why he's got incredible peripheral vision. That's why his concentration is unbeatable. That's why he can make a split-second decision under extreme pressure. And that's why he has total like empathic social connection with his teammates. So if you want a brain like Tom Brady or Harry Kane, who also uses it, um, and it has publicly said, I use Michael Merzenich's brain training because I love Tom Brady and he does it. So I'm doing it. And I've had struggles and I, I had to go back to the drawing board and work really hard because this is what I wanted to achieve. But brain training, as much as going to the gym and working out, is part of the program. Why do we want to have fit bodies and not have fit brains? So this is the this is the new world. It's that's so exciting to talk about. It is. It's fantastic, and it's not that I set the question up in a way for you to, to jump in on that, but it's just that that's my fixed way. Or you can't fix it. You know, you can't fix it. It's just that old message comes out, and it's there's me straight away saying it. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm saying to myself, "Oh, hang on a minute, that's." That's not true, but thankfully I'm talking to you here, an absolute expert on the subject. 
Now, hopefully for our listeners, that has been a, a nice little snapshot with examples on the healing process. Again, Jen, your book, which I'm trying to fire through, is fantastic. I know it's coming out soon. Do you want to just add a little bit about it before we finish up? Yeah, so the book is called The Bullied Brain, Heal Your Scars and Restore Your Health. It's very readable. It's it's for it's storytelling. It's about my experience and how I discovered the neuroscience and how much I want to share it. That's why I love sharing it with you. And you and I both love to talk about it, Johnny. So, um, but yeah, it's a book that's really, it's just, I'm a teacher by trade. I'm uh, my PhD is in comparative literature. I am a storyteller. So I, I want to tell the story of what I learned about the neuroscience. And um, I just, I just think it's so exciting and important for everyone. So it comes out in April, April 15th, and um, it's available all kinds of different, you know, it's on Amazon. It's at Barnes and Noble. It's, I don't know where in the UK. Anyways, it's available. And I, I just, if you're interested in this subject, if it matters to you, um, I think that it, it's a great book for people to, to start the conversation on all the different things we can do to heal and have optimum health. And the exciting part for me is there will be the audiobook, which so few people mention, but for people like myself with dyslexia who struggle with processing, I know you've just finished an enjoyable recording session for that too. Yeah, I I don't listen to audiobooks. I'm a purely visual learner. When I when audio information comes in, I can't retain it. So I'm the opposite of you. My best learning is really if I just see it written down and can interact with the, the vision of it. But it was a really big learning curve for me to do the audiobook. And um, I, I'm really keen to hear it from you what you think of it, if I did a, a good storytelling job, because it's the first time I've ever done it. So I'm a bit of a novice. I can't wait. Looking forward to the accents in it as well. <laughs> well, it's it's my heritage is Scottish. so. Hopefully there'll be just a slight, you know, Fraser twang to it. You just drop into it. Like, Jen, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on. I've loved this and I will try and resist getting you back on again, but I probably will end up happening at some point. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to come on anytime. We love to talk to each other. So thank you for having me. Great privilege to chat with you as always. And we'll talk soon. Mm -hmm.